Welcome back to the pathology series brought to you by Spotlight Anatomy. In today's episode, we will be covering two conditions of the brachial plexus that crop up in exams time and time again. Herbed palsy and Klumpke's palsy. As usual, we will end with a case scenario. Feel free to pause the video at any point to think about the questions that we ask. We'll have a quick think about the case from the last episode though first. To summarise, a two-month-old baby presented to A&E with inconsolable crying. The mother claimed he had rolled and fallen from the top of the bed. A quick examination revealed a left swollen shoulder and no movement of the left arm. You note several bruises on his legs and back, which the mother claims is from him playing and tumbling around. You are asked to briefly outline your next steps. So, to begin with, there is obvious trauma to the left shoulder, for which you would investigate further, e.g. x-ray imaging, and manage appropriately. But another important concern is safeguarding. Depending on how far into your studies you are, you may not have come across some of the following points, so don't worry if you didn't pick up on these. Bruises and injuries can occur from kids playing and falling over. However, babies begin to roll around from four months onwards. So it makes you wonder if this baby really did roll off the bed and sustain the injury, or if something else happened. Babies at this age are not very mobile. Injuries in immobile babies should be investigated thoroughly. This baby can't have rolled and bumped into something, or even crawled. Can you recall what age babies can crawl? Babies crawl at around nine months, some slightly earlier, but there is no way a two-month-old is crawling around and bumping into things. So clearly this is a safeguarding concern and we need to investigate how these injuries were sustained. An investigation that can be conducted if there is concern regarding child abuse is a skeletal survey. A skeletal survey is conducted in under twos if there's concern over non-accidental injury and includes x-rays of the entire skeleton. A skeletal survey can assess many things in terms of fractures as well as assessing this it can pick up multiple fractures, each in different stages of healing, if these are present. In this case, we made it slightly more obvious that there was a concern with bruises on the back and the legs. But if, for example, there was a blue bruise-like appearance on the baby's lower back only, what might you consider first? This could be congenital dermal melanocytosis, previously and more commonly known as a Mongolian spot. You'd want to check the baby's red book first, as this should have been documented at birth. One quick last thing to note about bruising in children. Bruising on bony prominences are less of a red flag. If a bone is impacted, as it's hard, the child will be more likely to be left with a bruise. This is less likely on soft tissue. More force is required to leave a bruise, and so injuries like this should be investigated well. And that concludes the case. These were the main points that we wanted to outline. 
Moving on to the topics for this episode, there are two main brachial plexus injuries to be aware of. Herb's palsy and Klumpke's palsy. In each, different parts of the brachial plexus are injured. Herb's palsy affects two in 10,000 live births and refers to damage of the upper roots of the brachial plexus. Can you remember which are the upper nerve roots of the brachial plexus? This is damage to C5 and C6, which is from the lateral cord. The mechanism of this can be trauma, causing excessive hyperextension of the neck. But more often, it is due to shoulder dystocia during childbirth. Shoulder dystocia refers to the baby's shoulder getting stuck within the pelvis, and as a result, excessive traction is applied to the baby's head. Have a think about what myotomes will be affected in an herb's palsy. C5 is responsible for shoulder abduction and external rotation, and C6 is for elbow flexion and wrist extension. As a result, the affected arm will be held in a medially rotated, adducted position with the wrist flexed and the elbow extended. This is commonly known as the waiter's tip position, if you imagine a waiter holding a plate of food. Have a think about which muscles are responsible for these actions and thus weakness of which muscles causes the presentation. Now in terms of sensory changes, the C5 and C6 dermatomes will be affected. According to the Forrester dermatome map, C5 correlates to the lateral aspect of the arm and C6 correlates to the lateral aspect of the forearm. And in the hand, the lateral two fingers on the anterior aspect and the posterior aspect of the thumb. So this will result in a burning sensation or electric shock pain that passes down the arm and passes through all of these points we mentioned. In contrast, Klumpke's palsy affects fewer live births, around 0.8 in 1000, and refers to the damage of the lower roots of the brachial plexus. Which nerve roots do you think make up the lower roots? The two roots affected will be C8 and T1, which is from the medial cord. This can happen if there is a forceful hyperextension of the arm, not the neck like in Herb's palsy such as falling from a height and grabbing onto something. As you can imagine, this is quite rare and more commonly occurs in childbirth when the baby's arm is delivered first and traction is applied to that arm to deliver the rest of the baby. Thinking about the roots that are affected, which movements do you think will be lost?
Damage to C8 means that finger flexion and extension are lost. And damage to T1 means that there is loss of finger abduction and adduction. You might think that since C8 and T1 are the roots of the ulnar nerve, only the ulnar nerve is affected. But several other branches of the brachial plexus share those roots, the radial, median and medial pectoral nerves. Check out the corresponding anatomy episode for more details on these branches. Ultimately, Klumpke's palsy will present as a claw hand with hyperextension of all metacarpophalangeal joints, flexion of the interphalangeal joints, abduction of the thumb and wasting of the interossi. And in terms of sensory changes, the medial two fingers and medial forearm will be affected. Injuries to the brachial plexus can be divided into three types and these increase in severity. Neuropraxia results from traction or compression of a nerve, but no tearing of the nerve, so the axon is spared. This is the most common type and results in transient weakness and paresthesia, with function being regained after approximately three months. Axonotmosis injuries involve damage to the axon and the myelin sheath, e.g. in a displaced bone fracture. There will be nerve degeneration distal to the site of injury. Recovery occurs at a rate of one millimetre per day and so can take several months. Finally, neurotmosis injuries are the most severe and are associated with complete transection of the nerve and injury to the surrounding tissue, including the epineurium, which results in severe motor and sensory deficits. This type of injury requires surgical intervention. X-rays are often performed to assess if there's been any other damage such as to the clavicle or humerus, as well as check the function of the phrenic nerve by looking at the position of the diaphragm. An MRI is used to confirm a brachial plexus injury. Now we'll finish off with a case scenario. Just prior to the discharge of a mother and her baby boy who was born earlier that day, the midwife expresses her concern that she noticed that the baby hasn't been moving his right arm as much as his left. The baby was born via vaginal delivery and the mother had gestational diabetes. She says the delivery was difficult, even though the baby was in cephalic position, head first. But the baby seemed completely fine once born. What do you think could have happened and how would you investigate this? And that concludes this episode. Thank you for listening, and we hope you found it useful. For more on the brachial plexus, check out our corresponding anatomy podcast and quizzes using the link in the description. See you next week for our next episode on the pathology of the arm muscles. <laughs>